In my teen years, I did come to uh, just see in a different way that, that wow, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm attracted to guys for some reason. I, I really thought it was a phase. I thought, I'm not, I'm not attracted to girls, but maybe this is just not yet. Maybe uh, this is just going to come somewhere down the line. And so I kind of kept that to myself and thought it would pass. And the years went by, and I never really thought too much about it, although it was always there. Always aware that I have this attraction. And I went from high school through high school, had good friends, mostly guy friends. I, I never really felt like, I felt like I really got a, a bit of rejection from, from girls when I, was, when I was younger. Went through high school, into college, and went through college. And, and all that was fairly normal, as you would say. At the end of college is when the internet was becoming more widely used. I got my first computer, I got my first account with the internet, and I began to, to look into things and, and I guess becoming more convinced in my mind that maybe this is who I am, maybe I, I am, I'm gay and this is what I need to do. And um, it's taken some time. I, you know, there, I carried an identity with me for quite some time and still do at certain times of, you know, is this who I am or is this what I struggle with? And I have to flee a lot. I have to, there's just things I have to be very aware of, of who I'm with and what I'm doing and, 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 I, and, I, and I need people around me to, to, to ask me and keep me accountable on those things. And a lot of prayer. <laughs> a lot of prayer. Hi, I'm Chuck Betters, founder of Mark Inc. Ministries. You know, the vision of Mark Inc. Ministries is to create resources that offer help and hope to hurting people, especially those who feel alone in their struggles. Now, one of our signature resources is our audio library, and that includes numerous interviews with people who transparently share their redemption stories of finding purpose and healing in a hard place in life. I'd like you to visit our website at markinc.org, where you can download or listen for free these stories that address such life crises as the loss of a loved one or sexual abuse, adultery, divorce, autistic spectrum disorders, raising a special needs child, adoption, coming home from war, and many, many more topics. Today I am hosting an interview with Dave White, who is with Harvest USA, and several of his friends. And our interview is going to be a very sensitive topic. We're going to be addressing something that the church rarely talks about, and it will focus on same-sex attraction in men and the impact of those feelings on their lives. And so I want to welcome all who are sitting around this table. And Dave, I'm going to start with you. Let's get started by you telling us a little bit about Harvest USA and then introduce the other men that are at the table. Sure. Thanks, Chuck. Harvest USA started out of 10th Church in Center City, Philadelphia, back in 1983. At that point, as an outreach to the gay community. 10th is right in the heart of, of the gayborhood in Philadelphia, and there is a, a short wall out in front of the church where male prostitutes in the early 80s would actually come and sit and wait for guys to pick them up. And the pastor at the time, Dr. Boyce, realized this is a lost people group that's literally on the doorstep of my church. So we started as an outreach Bible study in one of the pastor's homes down in the city and saw a number of people come to faith through that, had women start coming, and have grown over the years really to minister to, to sexual sin across the board. So we do a lot of what we call targeted discipleship, working one-on-one -on -one with individuals. We have support groups for, for men and women dealing with, with various issues of sexual brokenness, and we do a lot of church education. We really long to see the local church equipped to do this kind of ministry within her four walls. So tell us who we have here as guests today. Uh, uh, three guys have 
are joining us today who who have been involved at, at Harvest USA over the years. So uh, Chris and Ben and Dan are joining us. Chris, I want to welcome you. Appreciate you being here today and your willingness to tell your story. We know that there are folks who will be listening to this who are struggling with same-sex attraction. So I think by way of introduction, it might be good for you to simply tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, I, uh, I grew up in a non-Christian home, Catholic home and legalistic home. I went, I went to church on Sundays, every Sunday. And, but other than that, life was pretty much like anybody else who didn't go to church. Life was good. I had a great family. In my teen years, I did come to uh, just see in a different way that, that wow, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm attracted to guys for some reason. I, I really thought it was a phase. I thought, I'm not, I'm not attracted to girls, but maybe this is just not yet. Maybe uh, this is just going to come somewhere down the line. And so I kind of kept that to myself and thought it would pass. And the years went by, and I never really thought too much about it, although it was always there. I was aware that I have this attraction, and I went from high school through high school, had good friends, mostly guy friends. I, I never really felt like, I felt like I really got a, a bit of rejection from, from girls when I, was, when I was younger. Went through high school, into college, and went through college, and, and all that was fairly normal, as you would say. At the end of college is when the internet was becoming more widely used. I got my first computer, I got my first account with the internet, and I began to, to look into things and, and I guess becoming more convinced in my mind that maybe this is who I am, maybe I, I am, I'm gay and this is what I need to do and I should, I should follow after this and, and at least check things out. So I would use the internet and I would uh, go into chat rooms specifically and uh, also view pornography and, and um, gay pornography, and I would uh, occasionally meet with people that I chat with on the internet anonymously, and this would go on for about eight years. I kept it from my family. My family did not know. I did not believe they'd be able to take it. I know it was something they were strongly against, so I did have a bit of a double life going on. So juggling that was difficult at, at best. So that was after college. I got a job. And for a couple of years, then I got a second job after I left the first one. I was there for about maybe four years. So it'd be 2000, around 2000. I had a coworker come to me one day. We, was, we met and we began to talk and just relate just as, as people do and got to know each other. And it seemed like we had a lot in common. We were friends, very nice guy. His name was Kevin. And uh, we, uh, we became friends very quickly. We began to spend time together, lunch times together at work when we could. I come to find out after some time that that he, he's a Christian and he would he made he didn't hide it he didn't put it in my face but he he was he was a Christian and I could tell by the way he lived his life you know that he he trusted God in a way that I and a, and a God that I didn't really it was a different God than what I was had grown up knowing so um, he would occasionally reach out to me and invite me to church and time went on and and for some reason that I can't explain I, I felt compelled to just because we're good friends and I, I I valued our friendship that I should kind of tell him this is my life and this is really who I am so he would have been the first one to hear this the um, first one to know this about you yes okay so I I did tell him and, and he did not flinch and he continued to reach out to me he did not put things in my face but just continued to be a good friend, a caring person. And anyway, I continued to, to say no to his inv invitations to church and to Alpha courses and all that. And 
during this time, I feel like God was really trying to get to something in my life. And, and there were times when I was, I was, I was in a relationship at that point with, with another man. And, and there were times where in the midst of the middle of, of acts where I would realize in this, and now I can say that I believe God spoke to the, my heart in those moments saying, there's something not right about this. This is not what I had for you. So he was slowly unraveling uh, this life that I had thought was right. I thought that this is going to make me happy. This is who I was. That, by that point, I thought that's who I was. Would this be the first time in your life that you felt there's something wrong with this? Or had you known all along there's something wrong with this? I believe that I convinced myself that it was okay, but I grew up in a house that would normally say very negative things about the gay lifestyle and, and homosexual people in general. So in my mind, it was not right, but I didn't know what else to do. This is what I, this was what was going on in my life and my heart, and I didn't know how else to handle it. So as God unraveled things in my life and this happiness that I was seeking after did not come, I called up my friend one Saturday and I did say, I, I, I want to come to this church. I, and, and I really just, I wanted to see what this was about. This was, this was a, he, he talked about God in, in a different way. I had never known. And so anyway, I, I got to, uh, came to church. It was like God opened the floodgates that day. Um, and that was the beginning of, that was kind of the beginning of the new journey. My same-sex attraction has not gone away, but I, I did forsake the relationship I was in, and I, I was really received very well into the church. There were many people there that—not many people, maybe half a dozen people who didn't know who I was and what was going on in my life, and yet they did not judge me whatsoever. In fact, they actually came around alongside of me very much. And so I gave my life to Christ a few, about a few months later, maybe four months later. I had been given a Bible by my friend who reached out to me. He had told me, he said, where do you, and I said, I asked him, where do you want, where should I read? I don't know where to read this Bible. And he told me to read John. And after John, I said, okay, now I'm done John, now what? And he said, read Romans, but not chapter one. Mm. <laughs> well, of course that made me read chapter one. And I literally was cut to the heart. I read that and I, and I knew those, that, that was speaking to me. That was me. That was, that's like, these words are speaking to me right now. And this is me and this cannot, this cannot continue. I, I, I've, this is, I've got to say no to this. Because Romans chapter 1 is very specific about men with men and women with women. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And so um, I went through an alpha course. I did give my life to Christ a few months after that and cut ties with everybody I had ever known, really. Explain what you mean. I know what you mean, but maybe somebody listening does not know what you mean when you say you gave your life to Christ. Well, I knew something was different in my life, and I, I think I knew who, in a, in a better way, who God was. But I also knew there was a there was a there was an invitation to follow Him that I had to receive and respond to. So I was actually on a retreat. I just I, I needed to to say to God, this is this is what I'm forsaking. I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to trust me and what I think is right. This is what your word says, and, I, and I've come to believe this is your, you are who you say you are, and this is, these are your words, and your words are true, and I need to respond to this, and I'm going to respond to this. What was it like when you cut ties with everyone? How did they respond? I pretty much disappeared hmm. from a lot. I, I really just disappeared. And, and did you miss that, or was that hard for you, or what? Not really much, actually. I think that was really the kindness of God. And he gave me such amazing relationships in the body of the church that they were far, they, they, they were, I remember thinking to myself one a couple times, 
wow, these are the relationships. I, these are like, this is the way I always wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Just good, right feeling relationships, you know, uh, within the, the confines of what God said is okay. You said something very interesting a minute ago. Of course, everything you're saying is interesting, but a, a minute ago you you said, I still struggle with same-sex attraction. Yes. Okay, now how do, you, how do you respond to that? How do you handle those temptations? Well, it's, uh, I've come a long way by the grace of God. I have accountability in place, which is, which is helpful, but the, the temptations will still come. And um, it's taken some time. I, you know, there, I carried an identity with me for quite some time and still do at certain times of, you know, is this who I am or is this what I struggle with? And I have to flee a lot. I have to, there, there's just things I have to be very aware of, of who I'm with and what I'm doing and 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 I and I and I need people around me to 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 ask me and keep me accountable on those things. And a lot of prayer, <laughs> a lot of prayer. Repentance involves, I believe, two steps, and that is turning away from sin and turning toward its opposite quality, whatever that is. The repentance process is not complete until we do that. So a liar is still a liar, even though he quits lying until he starts telling the truth. Thief is still a thief until he starts, even though he quits stealing, until he starts giving away. And on and on the examples go. What does one do who's struggling with same-sex attraction? What do you turn away from and what do you turn toward? Some people who struggle with same-sex attraction have same-sex attraction, but they also have opposite-sex attraction, which I do not. So for me, I really, I know that I have to turn toward God. I need to turn toward God and His Word and His people and to turn away from well, if I know I'm being tempted, I need to flee from those things. Is it painful for you to do that? No. It's exciting to me to hear you talk about the, the role that the fellowship of God's people played in your life and continues to play in your life, where one set of, quote, friendships were replaced by wholesome, quality friendships of godly people who did not judge you. No gay jokes, none of that stuff going on. Back to Kevin for a second. He seems to be a special person in your life. And uh, does he continue to be that person? Is he still in your life? And uh, what role does he play in your accountability? Well, our friendship has changed a lot. Our lives have changed quite a bit. Uh, we are still very close friends. His circle of friends has changed, and he, he has some different roles in our church. But we are still very close, and so we do. We are able to talk about life, and I can still share things that I'm struggling with with him. But uh, as far as a regular accountability, that's not our relationship right now. It, he walked with me very closely and regularly for probably the first eight years of me being a believer. I mean, weekly. We would, we would get together weekly and spend two hours together. Just in, 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 And he would really just disciple me. So if I hear you correctly, what you are saying about yourself is that you, from early on, struggled with a same-sex attraction. Nobody knew until later when you became involved in this particular church and involved with this particular man, Kevin, who helped to walk you through this journey. But as you sit here today, you still struggle with same-sex attraction. You don't have any attraction to, to women. Am I reading you correctly? That's correct. All right, let's, let's just suppose for a moment that you're talking to somebody who's listening to this who has the same identical struggle that you do. What advice would you give him? What would you say to the man who has absolutely no attraction to women, but still feels attracted to, 
two men and once out, so to speak. What would you say? You know, it's easy, you know, it would be easy for me to say in one sense to someone who's struggling that don't go the way of the world. The call of God is different. And, and, and I, I can say you need to trust God more than you need to trust your feelings. They're good and they're God-given, but God's word is, is authoritative for the Christian. So the question I ask you, I could ask anybody about any particular sin, and that is we all struggle with temptations. I struggle with temptations that are different than your struggle with temptations, but temptation is temptation. Sin is sin. And the right response, I believe, that I should have toward the sin struggles that I am involved with is to invest myself in the Word to find out exactly what God's Word has to say about that temptation, and more specifically, to learn that my identity in Christ has already been determined by the shed blood of Christ on that cross, that when He died on that cross, all of my sins that I yield to, all the temptations I yield to, were already dealt with by the blood of Christ. Is that something you would agree with? or I would agree with that. For me, it has been a long road to come to understand better who I am in Christ, and to see that it is this temptation, though it's same-sex attraction, it is just a temptation. Um, my understanding of that is I have a bent toward that. I don't understand why, uh, but that's, that's just mine. Some people have, they struggle with anger or lying or this, this is mine, and, and it may be with me, and that's okay. Very true, very true. Dave, how, um, what's your reaction to what you're hearing so far? As I consider... What's going on culturally right now? I mean, we're at this significant moment in our country of people kind of whole scale just adopting gay marriage, obviously, is the law of the land, you know, this huge move with with the, uh, transgender. And and what is going on is, is an adopting a philosophy that basically says, I'm at the center. I make truth. My truth is my truth. It doesn't matter what you say. And there's no, there's no objective truth outside of ourselves. And, and, and what I hear you saying, Chris, is... Actually, there is one who is outside of me who has spoken, who has an authoritative word. And, and by the way, what he says, even though it goes against the grain of how I want to live, a lot of the time, it's actually good. You know, one of the things I love that you shared in your story was there was this sense of, of not rightness in what you were doing and a sense in that when you went to that church, there was a coming home. There was a, this is where I belong. This is the kind of human community I've been looking for. And so uh, it's encouraging to hear, to hear, hear God's redemption and, and to hear someone saying, I'll deny myself. You know, that's, that's what Jesus was straight up. He said following him meant denying yourself, taking a cross, and following. Uh, and so you've got guys like, like Matthew Vines who say, if you, if you don't allow gay marriage within the church, then you are relegating people to a life of forced loneliness, you know, without appreciating, no, why, why do we find this, this incredible teaching in 1 Corinthians 7 that starts going against the grain of so much of what came before in some ways, where Paul teaches, I'd prefer you not to get married, you know, because five chapters later, he's going to be talking about the body of Christ and how, why is marriage not imperative? I mean, he's even using some of that one flesh kind of language. I've, I've knit you <clears throat> into a body, so the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. There, there should be no loneliness in the body of Christ. We, we need to, and that's, and that's one of the ways, really, this is more of a challenge to the church of how, how are we going to grow to love well people like you, Chris, who are not necessarily going to end up getting married and, you know, having kids and being a part of the church program in that way, uh, and instead are going to really need the body of Christ to enfold you into the life of the church. And as God promises in Psalm 68, I'm going to place the lonely in families. 
it's almost a given in the church that if you are unmarried, that there must be something wrong, that somehow we miss the scriptures where Paul talks about the gift of singleness. And the, the reason we are single is to be unencumbered by some of the things that marriage encumbers us with so that we might better serve the kingdom of God and minister to the body of Christ. And it sounds like that would be something that would fit uh, Chris's description. And more specifically, uh, Dave, what, what do you say to someone who might say to, to Chris, have you ever asked God to give you a, an attraction to the opposite sex? Is that something that he should be praying for? Is that something he should not be praying for or what? How, how, how do you advise him in that, in that way? Let me start off answering that by saying that I didn't encourage guys to pray to become straight. Because even that, that whole kind of, I'll say something intentionally provocative, God did not create us to be heterosexual. And what I mean when I say that is the way we currently understand heterosexuality is actually through the lens of the fall. I'm attracted to this entire subset of the opposite sex. God's intention for us at creation was bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this particular individual of, yes, the opposite sex, but a particular individual. So I'm not helping someone if I bring them in the door struggling with heter- homosexual lust and send them out struggling with heterosexual lust. You know, redemption of sexuality doesn't mean heterosexuality as we understand it today. It would mean if God calls Chris to marriage, a particular individual. And so one of the ways I would think about it is that all of us are supposed to be Christosexual. You know, we submit our sexuality to the Lordship of Christ. You rule over this. It's interesting in passages like 1 Thessalonians 4 and Ephesians 4 in particular, you get this dichotomy between this is the way people who don't know God live. They're ruled by their sexual desires. People who do know God have a sexuality that is ruled over by the Holy Spirit. And, and submitted to him. The opposite of, of homosexuality isn't heterosexuality, it's holiness. Now, that said, you know, I, I've worked with men who, although we don't push men towards marriage, that's the solution to your problem. I have lots of guys coming to me, and, and obviously Ben and Dan, who are with us here, are both married men, and, and they can maybe speak into this as well in terms of their own experience. Marriage is not the panacea for this. It's not going to just take it away. And that's been a lie believed in the past. I've worked with many men picking up, you know, the broken pieces over, over decades of marriage because that was their hope. So it's not going to be the solution. And yet, I think of one man in particular who came to me when he was probably in his late 40s, worked with him for a number of years. And, and as he was approaching his 50s, he was in a dating relationship and and was just wrestling with, should I, should I marry this woman? And she was at a point of, you know, you got to fish or cut bait. I'm, I'm going to get out of here, you know, uh, if you're not going to make a decision. And so he, he basically said, Dave, what do you think I should do? And in his experience, he had never acted out with a man. And so part of the desire was, if only I could try it this one time, you know, the, the kind of forbidden fruit idea. And what the spirit, I, I believe, put on my heart was, God is throwing you a lifeline. He's inviting you to actually experience why he designed you as a sexual being. So I encouraged him to get married. And, and I was, you know, afterwards saying, Lord, I, I, hope that was, I hope that was indeed from you. And he came back to me a couple, couple years later saying, thank you so much for pushing me to do that. Uh, you, you gave me the push I needed and, and just uh, praising God that he had made that decision. And so for him, it was this incredibly redemptive, glorious thing. So I think God does that. Uh, And we should certainly, all of us, no matter whether you have homosexual temptation or heterosexual, you want to be praying for the redemption of your sexuality, that it would be submitted to Christ and it would become what he intended it to be. Well, we have two married men here. Dan, I want to move on to you, and perhaps you can give us an overview of of your life and your journey and give us an overview of of your struggle. 
I was raised in a Christian home, oldest of four boys. From the very earliest that I can remember, I knew that I was somehow different, that there was an attraction to men that didn't sound like what I was hearing from the other guys, you know, the kids that you knew growing up. When I was in junior high, there was a period of time where I was acting out with another boy. At that point, somewhere in that time, my mother saw that. And my father, a believer, but not really strong. Later that day when he came home, he came in with the Bible and kind of really used it as a tool of this is wrong. Even though I knew it was wrong, he was a hammer. He was hammering. And I remember reacting really, I just shut down and I got angry. Thankfully, that was the end of any further acting out ever. So I think God used it in that way. But it also became a thing where this is not a thing that I can ever let out. This is not something I can ever talk about. No one knew other than my parents and that other kid. Went on that way for, for years. I did date. I did try to do as much as I could that would kind of take away any signs that maybe I wasn't like the other guys. I even remember in junior high, I was they actually had me doing speech therapy because apparently I was lisping already at that point. I'm grateful for that at this point, but at the time I was like, I, you know, what is this about? So got older. At a very young age, also knew that I really felt like God, I know I was saved very young and understood the gospel really clearly, just that, you know, that I was clearly a sinner. I knew that and that there was no hope for dealing with that sin apart from Christ. And also felt very early that there was a call that I should serve God overseas in missions. And so after college, met the woman that I would eventually marry, and we both sensed that. And so prior to being married, I did tell her this is my struggle. So she was one of the first that knew. There was one other friend and the youth pastor I had also confided in by that point, which was after college. We ended up, we did get married. We ended up going overseas. We were overseas for six years. What was your wife's reaction before you got married? I'm interested to know how, how did she respond when you told her that you have a sexual attraction to other men? It was difficult. And yet it also, what it led to was her as well, opening up about things that were difficult for her. It wasn't a big glowing, warm and fuzzy moment, but it was at least there was some honesty there for both of us. So you entered into the marriage with some transparency. We did. Mm. She knew that. But it's not, that being said, it's not been something that we talk about frequently at all. It's not something that is ongoing. The battle, though, was continuous. Even though I was married and, and I and we had been through, basically we had been through Bible studies together and figuring out what was God, was this a friendship or was this something that God was doing and drawing us together? At the end of that, I was like, no, this is God doing something to bring us together. So I felt very confident that that was the direction we were supposed to be headed. After we got married, like I said, we then pursued grad school and we're really challenged. We really saw God moving and challenging and drawing us to overseas where we we went. Our kids were one when we left and our daughter was born overseas. And then we came back after some basically field trauma and kind of reinserted into our home church. We felt it was important to really kind of reinvest back in. All that time, though, that no one knows. No one, still no one knows. Like there, there have been a, a few people. And what I found was that with no one knowing, not feeling like it was something you could really talk about, it kind of comes to a boiling point inside because it's not getting less. It's not getting better. So you're still struggling with same-sex attraction. 100%, and your yeah. wife knows this the whole time? It's not like I'm telling her this right. is hard for me today or right. anything. Right, right. But you are still, the whole time, you're still struggling with yes. same-sex attraction. And, okay. And, yeah. and, and still to this day, I do. But it, there was no release, there was no outlet for it in any way. There's no one to go talk to. She would feel threatened if I would say I'd want to talk to some other, like a friend. She would feel threatened by that and she would not want that. And so that was kind of closing it in. Even though I understand what her fear was, it was also making it feel more closed in a little bit. So gradually it got to the boiling point, and that's when I also attended 
harvest. And that was helpful in just knowing, you know, I know the truths, but they weren't affecting things, you know. So it was helpful in kind of navigating how to get from this is this constant battle to, okay, this is a constant companion, but it's also doesn't have to be everything about everything. You know, it's it's only one piece of things. And it's help, helpful to see, well, here's what God actually says about all of these things. And this is one thing that you wrestle with, but actually you wrestle with a lot more things. You're just not. Let me go back to what your father did and ask you this question. How should a parent respond when their child is evidencing same-sex attraction? What, more specifically, what would have worked for you in terms of your father's response? Yeah. An arm around the shoulder. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Still hurts, doesn't it? Hmm. A reminder that this is not God's best for you. Not in a way that this is evil. It, I mean, God calls it an abomination, but... You're not the abomination. So there's a dad listening to this right now whose son is being exposed, quote unquote. What would you say to that dad? Just Well, first, let, the, let him know that you still love him. Now you want God's best for him. And then you're willing to walk through it with them, whatever it is. Is that the counsel Harvest would give? Absolutely. Yeah, we are desperate for the church to realize that we've got to we've got to level the playing field. You know, the the ground is level at the foot of the cross is is a kind of truism in the church, but we got to put real feet on it by how we respond to different sin struggles. Um, Lots of folks coming to Harvest USA are dealing, you know, have those deep-seated feelings like Dan has been describing of, I'm the abomination. You know, it's not this behavior. When you look at Scripture, it's always something you do. You know, it's a behavior that God's condemning, not the one who bears his image, not the one he created who he loves. And that's who we are, we're seeking to call out. No, it, it's God is, God is inviting you to become the man he's always created you to be, uh, which, yes, involves turning away from certain behaviors. But, yeah, we are longing for parents to not send condemning messages to their children, but to really be wooing them to, to the sweetness that, that Christ is offering. Well, we also have Ben with us here today. Ben is also a married man and also has quite a story to tell. And Ben? If I go back, I don't ever remember a time in my life that I wasn't attracted to men. I think that even as a child, even before I knew what sex was, heterosexual, homosexual, or anything, I I can remember an attraction to men. And, and as I grew up, that became stronger. Of course, as I became more aware of, of sexuality, I learned pretty quickly that there was a difference in society, in, in our culture. I grew up in the church, and particularly in the church, there was a big difference. You know, heterosexual sin even was looked at differently than homosexual mm-hmm. sin. There just wasn't an acceptability. And, and I think one of the things, I think it was already mentioned, Chris, I think mentioned, you just feeling different. There was this feeling different, and yet that's not what I wanted. I wanted to belong. I wanted to feel the same as, the same as particularly other men. And, you know, so there was just this, this craving in, in my heart to please 
other men. I didn't have the, the same interests as a lot of men. I wasn't interested in sports and things like that. So I grew up kind of isolating myself in some ways. But as I became older, just this desire to be with other men. And as I discovered sex, that obviously that desire to please other men. In my teen years, I never talked about this. I never talked about my questions, never talked about this with anybody because I knew in the church I was in, I knew that this wouldn't be an acceptable topic of conversation. And I had only seen people ridiculed for the lifestyle that, that I secretly longed. I had only seen them isolated. I'd seen the cost of owning up to who you really were. It was too costly. I couldn't afford to lose my family. I couldn't. And, and I grew up in a home, too, where everybody got it, <laughs> uh, whether it was a homosexual or whether it was a racially uh, issue or whatever. I, I grew up in the Archie Bunker household, if, if anybody knows what that even means. Went into my teens. Uh, I did get into pornography. There wasn't any internet yet, but uh, I did manage to find my way to pornography, and that desire became stronger. I, I also, though, I, I did have an attraction to women, and I did date, and most of my relationships were very sexually charged, though, um, so it was that wasn't appropriate either. And again, all of that even was in secret on the down low, and so then I, I, I don't know what I thought. I thought eventually if I got married and I had kids, all that would be just kind of taken away, and that would go away. I went to college. I, I fought my parents' wishes, went to a, a very ultra-conservative Christian college, and I think that I went there because of fear in my own heart of where I would lead myself if, if left to my own devices. And I was kind of hoping that somehow in this Christian college, this, this, you know, that I, everything would be reined in and everything would be fixed. And even when I came to Harvest in 2002, I was still looking to be fixed, Dave. And I found out that's not, God has a lot more in store for us than fixing us. That's not the goal. Uh, he wants to make us like Christ. I never heard that. I, I, I heard salvation by faith in, in Christ alone, and I embraced Christ in that way very early in life. But after that, it was pretty obvious that it was all about performance. And, and if you did the right things and you performed correctly, that God would somehow love you or continue to love you. And so I uh, went through college. Um, I, after college, I did meet someone, and we fell in love, and we married. I did tell her that I had had one homosexual encounter. I didn't tell her that I was still secretly um, acting out in, in, in anonymous relationships. But I did tell her I had had one homosexual encounter. And the reason I told her that before we were married was because our pastor had said uh, he wanted to ask the question in our wedding ceremony, if anyone has cause, you know, that this couple should not be united. And I feared that someone would walk through the back door and say, that man, I had sex with him. And uh, so I told her the one experience. But again, I wasn't open. I wasn't honest. I lied. Even though I was honest about that one example, I lied. I told her it was done, it was over, and she believed me, and she married me, and we had over 20 years of marriage together. Um, we had a son. We raised him in the church. We were active in our church, but all during those 20 years, I was secretly, anonymously pursuing other men. Not in relationship. I never wanted a relationship with another man. It was all about just one-time encounters. Occasionally, maybe it would happen more than once with the same person, but almost always it was just one. Fear in my heart, not just that I would burn in hell, you know, if you, but, but that, that I would uh, bring home something to my wife. That, and God mercifully kept that from happening, that, that I didn't contract diseases. I, re, I still remember when I first heard about AIDS. That was in 82. I believe, 83, somewhere around there. Um, but I still continued to act out for another 15, 18 years. 
it was it was painful. Somehow I managed to be able to compartmentalize things and and be able to have these two lives going on, but that that took a lot to manage that. My my wife eventually passed away, not from anything related, um, from a long chronic illness that she had. At that point, I was in misery. I, I convinced myself that, <sighs> I convinced myself that the reason she had died was to punish me. And uh, yeah, so, um, I, I actually began to, at that time, call out, and, and it was just in desperation, God, please do something in my life. Please help me. And I prayed that way for, oh, gosh, probably a year and a half. In, in the church we were in, a new pastor came on the scene, and that pastor began to preach in a way that I'd never heard the, the gospel presented before. I'd, I'd heard and I believed that there was nothing that we brought to the table. But there was a part of me that didn't believe that, because that's not what I ever saw in the church. Mm-hmm. I, you know, for the decision we make, the getting the saved part, yeah, that that's that's what the way it was. But, but then living our lives and how lives worked out, that's not what I saw modeled in the churches that I'd been in. And yet, this man was telling me something different. He preached from Mark. Uh, you talk about John and, 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 uh, and Romans, but he preached from Mark, and that really had a profound impact on my life. How, how people that came to Christ, how, how they didn't pollute Christ, how, how Christ is so pure that he, he cleansed them and he made them clean. And I just, th- that was just amazing to me. I'd never heard things like that before. One time I remember walking and praying as I was walking, and, and, and one of the psalms hit me that, that before you know, there was anything, a bone was knit together, that Christ knew me. And somehow it hit me that he knew me in the sin that I was in, that the lifestyle that I was leading, that I knew in my heart wasn't what he had for me. I, I knew that he had something different for me because he said that he knew me before. I, I was put together. And I thought, if you knew me, then you knew this. This didn't surprise you. When I, when I, this whole life of mine that I lived in secret hasn't surprised you. And you have a purpose for me. And so I began to really look at it differently. So over a period of time, probably about nine months of my pastor preaching this way and actually asking me to, to somehow mentor um, some other men in the church. I wasn't in a leadership capacity in the church, but he had asked me to, to mentor some, some men and, and actually a couple men who were going through not the same situation I was in, but were going through some pretty significant issues in their marriages and in their lives. And, 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 and I, I, re- I still remember him asking me then to mentor the third man. And, and I finally had come to the end. And I said, I can't mentor other people when I'm carrying around all this inside of me. And so when I came to Christ, I, it was in our kitchen, my, my pastor and I were sitting there. And I told him this. And I said, there's things that I need to tell you. I'd come to the point in my life where it, never, it didn't matter anymore if, if I lost everything. And actually, at that moment, I fully expected that I would lose everything. I expected I would be denied communion. I expected I would be marched up in front of the church to have to confess my sins. I expected that I would lose the love of my family. I even wondered if I'd lose my job because I thought everybody would know. But at that point, it didn't matter anymore. I couldn't handle it. couldn't take it. I couldn't live like this anymore. And the most amazing thing when I told him that, the most amazing thing he said to me was, Ben, he said, 
we don't have to do any of those things. And the reason we don't have to do them is because Christ has already taken your shame. He's already been shamed. He's already been punished for you. There's nothing left. And, and now, now, of course, there, there is a lot left <laughs> because we, we can't, uh, we, you know, that's not the end of the story, is it? And so, yes, he did connect me. He, he made the phone call to, to John Freeman at Harvest that within five minutes, he made that phone call and connected me there. And then he asked me to share these same things with um, the elders in the church so that somebody could walk alongside of me. But he said, we don't need to make anyone known uh, or any this known to anyone else at this time. You know, when, when God wants other people to know, he, he'll show you. He'll show you the path and the reason for it. So that that's basically it. Mm, wow. You know, as I'm listening to all three of your stories, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, we have people who come to our churches all the time who stand up and give testimony. And they'll say something like, I was raised in a Christian home. When I got into college, I went off the deep end. I got involved in drugs. I slept around with other women or other men. And uh, now the Lord has blessed me, blah, blah, blah. And everybody embraces them afterwards. Why can't the church accept you men standing up in front of them and saying, I struggle with same-sex attraction, but I still love the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is my Savior, and I am pursuing holiness, and He is pursuing me. He holds me in the grip of His grace. Why is this different? We tend to idolize those who come into our churches and talk about grotesque sin in their lives that is not gay sin. But when we talk about gay sin, things change. All three of you have expressed reluctance to tell the church reluctance to tell anybody else. Why is that? You mentioned a youth pastor. What role did the youth pastor play? Uh, did he help? Did he hurt? What role did he play? He helped in that he made it easy for me to tell. I knew that he had come from a background of craziness, excess in pretty much every direction possible. So that made it easier for me to be to finally tell somebody as well. There wasn't anything after that. There wasn't any follow-up. There wasn't any, here's what we do next kind of thing. There was nothing. But there was the breaking of the ice that now somebody else knew. Yeah, so he made it easy to tell, but there wasn't anything after that. And I think that's been my experience pretty much throughout within the body is that I can't really point to anybody that's really, res one guy responded kind of negatively, but not like hatefully, just kind of not so great. But overall, mostly, I think guys are afraid. I, either they're afraid or they don't know what to do next. So for, for the few that I've told, the response for, in my situation has always been silence, essentially. That after that, you just go on and I have come to the conclusion I'm either given the benefit of the doubt that they are thinking if I just behave as if nothing is changed, then nothing really has changed. But there's not really like ongoing. So, so there's a sense that they're still embracing you as a brother. Yes. And so they're they're making sure they're not recoiling from they're you in recoiling. any way. But there's not necessarily an intentional discipleship no, of no. walking with you, asking how you're doing, no. what the temptation's like. No, and, none yeah. of that. No. Well, we have situations that arise all the time where a young person, quote, comes out, unquote. And their parents, who are Christians, have to respond to that. So you're sitting across the table from a, a mother or a father, uh, Chris, who uh, whose child has just quote come out. How should they respond? What should they say to them? I would kind of I would kind of echo some of the things that that Dan has shared. Just that he wished his father had said. Just love that child. Mm -hmm. Don't single out that child. Don't hold that child at arm's length. 
Um, in fact, I think that would be an opportunity to actually grow deeper in your relationship with that child, I would think. Now, I'm not a parent, mm. but that's what I would, that would be my estimation of what to do. One of the great questions that I regularly receive from families is they have a young person, somebody in their family, a, a member of their family who is, quote, coming out, unquote. How are we supposed to respond to that when our, our kids come to us or our grandkids or a niece or a nephew and, and they announce it to us that they're gay? And how do we love them, which, of course, the scripture commands us to do, without ascending to their behavior? How do we do that? One of the things I think as a parent, because I am a parent, that we have to do is examine first our own hearts and our own attitudes. What do we really believe about the gospel? What do we believe about our own sin? What does that look like in God's eyes? You know, you go back to the, to the, 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 uh, the passage about the, the woman caught in adultery, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And I always thought about it as a, in, in relation to the other people, you know, the ones that could have picked up the stone but then I looked at the woman. You know, all of a sudden I identified with her, the shame that she felt. And I, I basically, when I came to Christ, if I were her, I would have welcomed the stones. That, that's how I looked at, at the passage. So I think we have to, as parents, just have to examine our own attitudes, first of all. Dan talked about his, his father. You know, yeah, we have, to, we have to love. We have to love as Christ loved. And that's not easy. Because we have these dreams for our kids, and this is the way we want them to turn out, and this is the way we wanted our own lives to turn out, and our own lives didn't turn out that way. But God has a plan and a purpose in their lives as well. So I think that we have to openly show them the love that, that Christ showed us. And I don't have an exact answer of what that looks like. On the other side, yeah, we do have to be honest with them. I think that one of the things that kept me in hiding was this fear of honesty and the consequences. So if, 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 if a son comes out to a parent, he is taking or she is taking a huge chance in rejection. We can't reject them. We've got to love them and let them know that their identity in our own eyes has not changed whatsoever. We still feel exactly the same way. We still love them the same way. Knowing this about them doesn't change that because that's how Christ treats us. But on the other side, yeah, I think we have to be honest about our convictions. And we have to realize as parents that this may not change their minds. This may not change their hearts. We, we wanna fix things, and that's not the way life works. We don't just throw out a few Bible verses and fix things. I think that's why we're in the trouble we are with all the, the litigation and things that go on. We want the easy solution. We want to fix people. We want to make them into something different that, that we've determined is, is better, even though maybe, maybe it is if it aligns with God's Word, but, but yet, but yet uh, our, our own standards are not always His standards either. So we have to be honest and share from our hearts what we feel God's Word teaches, what we feel He has for our lives. And, and, and I don't I don't even have an exact way that all works together either because it's like the, the child that comes to the parent and says, this is, I'm, this is what I'm dealing with. And then every time the parent sees that child, they got to throw another verse in or make another recommendation. You can't live there in that moment and make that sin the identity of that person. You mentioned the woman taken in adultery. I have some theories on that. And uh, 
My theories, of course, are not scripturally based per se. However, it does tell us that when this woman was taken in adultery, they were ready to stone her, and Jesus began to write on the ground. It does not tell us what he wrote on the ground. We're, we're left to conjecture as to what he wrote on the ground. But we know that after he wrote on the ground, he said, now let you who are without sin cast the first stone. I believe, my theory, is that he began to write the names of every man holding a stone that had sex with that woman. And one by one, they began to drop their rocks because they knew she needed to die because she had the goods on all of the men who were about to throw the stones. But then Jesus turns to her and says, now go, where are those who condemn you? Now you go and sin no more. So there's the two sides to the question. So, you know, Dave, one of the things that the church historically has done, at least in this area, is when we have somebody who comes out, somebody who announces they're gay, we send them up to harvest. You're supposed to fix them. You're supposed to make sure that you fix them and make everything right. How should the church respond? I'm asking you a similar question to how should the family respond, but maybe you can put those two questions together. And how should we respond when we know certainly it should not be like when Dan's father responded to him? We, we know that. We can see even today the pain that's still there in, in Dan. So how should the church respond and how should families respond when their children or their loved ones come out? Yeah, well, the first thing that hits me is we probably need to do a lot more asking questions than opening the Bible. Honey, how long have you felt this way? When did you first notice it? What was that experience like? What has it been like for you to live with this for X number of months or years or whatever before this conversation? You know, what was it like for you to sit around, sit in church and, and hear these issues talked about? What was it like for you to sit at our dinner table when we talked about the gay marriage decision, dealing with these issues? Basically, your, your child uh, or, or a parishioner is coming to you with, you know, as one counselor said, the fine china of their life. They're, they're coming to you and trusting this to you. And now all of a sudden you have somebody sitting across the table from you who's actually very different than the person you thought they were. You have to stop and figure out who it is you're now talking to before you prescribe, you know, the right Bible verse for them. So that would be the first thing is you really need to start asking a lot of questions. You need to figure out what's going on inside them. How are they processing this? A child could come to a parent and say, I'm gay, and they could mean by that, I'm going to dive whole hog into the gay life. They could also mean, I know God, God's not okay with this, and I've been wrestling with this for a long time. I'm committed to honoring him with my life and, and, and living uh, chastely, whatever that might mean. So, so you really don't know what they're, what they're coming with just because they've thrown this word out. You really need to, to pursue their hearts, ask them lots of good questions, draw them out, and particularly, you know, as Dan and, and Ben both talked about being raised in the church, what was it like for them to be experiencing these feelings in the church? So, so that, that would be the first step, draw them out. When it comes to—I'll talk more about the church maybe in a moment. Let me, let me talk more about the family. When it comes to continuing on in relationship, one of the things that, that I tell parents is it may actually be far more painful for you to have to bring in the extra chair— uh, out of the basement to bring to the Thanksgiving table instead of having one seat empty. 
Uh, lots of parents think the right biblical road is to cut off that relationship, you know, kind of a bad interpretation of 1 Corinthians 6, uh, instead of, you know, with church discipline, just cast them out with such a one don't even eat, instead of realizing, no, actually the costly, painful road is to continue in relationship, to invite this person in, to to love, to love this partner. And you may be the only, the only opportunity this individual has to see the love of Christ. And that's actually the more co- costly, painful road for, for many families. Do you speak truth? I mean, I think there are there are opportunities. Chances are, if, if, you're, if we're dealing with someone who was raised in a Christian home, they have already tried to resolve their faith. They've already tried to work through a lot of the prohibitive passages before they ever come out. So, so you're really wasting, it's not going to be a fruitful conversation, is how I'd put it. You know, they, they've already made their decisions on these things. So, so it's probably more helpful, instead of going through the six prohibitive passages in Scripture, to, to in future conversations, talk more about what the gospel means to you, your own need of Christ, your own need of repentance. One thing, but one thing uh, Rosaria Butterfield shares in her testimony is she was astounded when this pastor who was befriending her started confessing his own sins in front of her. She couldn't believe it. You know, we are, we are known in the church for waving bony fingers. I would love it if we were known for humility, for repentance, for showing our own desperate need for Christ. That would be a very, very different cultural conversation. It seems like what you're saying, Dave, is that it's a parent's opportunity to grow even more intimate and deeper in their own relationship to Christ as uh, they have to examine their own hearts and how they're responding. Is that what you're trying to say? Amen. An infinite God is working in infinite ways in every single heart that's being touched by any particular situation. So I always tell parents, this is not about your son or daughter necessarily coming to repentance. We're going to be praying for that, obviously, but but God has things for you in this. There's ways he wants to draw you closer in this and woo you in the midst of your heartache and disappointment and everything else. You know, I've been serving the church for 47 years. This is my—I'm going on my 48th year in the ministry. And As I think through the history of congregations that I have served, maybe with just a handful here or there of people, for the most part, something that I asked earlier, I think would receive a a wonderful response. If I I said, why can't you men stand up in front of the church and announce your struggle and your dependence upon Christ to work through that struggle with you as you learn what your identity in Christ is all about? And I think probably to a man sitting at this table here, we would say, oh, we couldn't do that um, because the church is the church. And uh, I'm honestly wondering whether or not we're, we're leveling judgments on ourselves that are, that are too severe as the church. Sure, certainly you'd have a few homophobes who would act like we would expect them to act. But I think for the most part, at least the people I've served over 47 years, would put their arms around you and embrace you. The church, is, as one historian used to call it, he said it's, a, it's not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners, and we're all sinners. I mean, I, I look at you three men there and I say, well, Chuck, you know what you're struggling with. You know your temptations and you know your sins, and I'd be almost very tentative to stand up and announce personally mine. Yet at the same time, I have found over the years that the more vulnerable I am to the congregation with my own struggles, the more they have embraced me. And I'm wondering whether or not we're too judgmental of of our own body. Dave, what do you you think of that? I think uh, somewhere Bonhoeffer said something along the lines of confession breeding confession. Pastor who who started my church had, had a line that the shepherd needs to be the chief repenter. 
Uh, and I think that's been lost too often in, in many, many corners of American Christianity, that if particularly leaders, if they seek to to be the one having it all together, they, they, they end up kind of eclipsing Christ. You know, you, you come in front of him and that if, if we are vulnerable and honest with each other, we're all struggling. Well, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I, I shared my testimony up to the point that I came to Christ. But since then, I have found that to be true. I've had at least three opportunities. One, to go back to the church that I was part of. I had, I had left the church. I'd gotten married again and moved out of the area, but I'd gone back there. The pastor was preaching a, a sermon series on, uh, I forget the name of the book. It's, it's the Barna book, um, Unchristian. And uh, he asked me to come and give my testimony, and I did. And exactly that happened. And it was, it was Communion Sunday, and everybody went forward to receive communion. And this was after I'd given my testimony, after the sermon had been preached. But everybody, almost everybody stopped and hugged me, and it was amazing. And, and that's part of the healing process, and I think that we need to do that. But when you're struggling in secret, that's the biggest fear. You don't know what's going to happen. And until you see repentance demonstrated, you, you, don't, you, you don't take a, take a chance. And that's, that's, like I said, one of the things that brought me to Christ eventually was seeing repentance, granted privately, but seeing repentance demonstrated, and for, and for me to go, wow, I, I never, I, I just, I didn't think I could take that chance to trust another human being enough to share. And, and so, yeah, I have seen that, that demonstrated, and that is amazing. And talk about how, how, the, how the, the church is empowered and, and other people. There. I remember that the one Sunday there, there was somebody else that came and he said, this is why we want to attend this church, because this is the way that people are responding to the gospel in a public way that's real and not put on. So you're absolutely right, and, and, and I didn't want to give the impression that Myself and, and probably you were going to say the same thing. You know, we th- we think that now. We don't think that now, mm. but but we did, or I did at one time. I was just going to say that I have not shared my testimony in front of our church, but I remember probably a year or two into being in a small group at my church, and actually, and, and this was a particular meeting was a men's group meeting, and we we're talking about purity, sexual purity, and I was with a you know probably half a dozen other other guys there, and. Two of them knew my testimony and story and how I struggled, and the others didn't. But we were seeking to be transparent with one another, and and I put it out there. And there was one person in particular, I remember, thinking to myself, this is not going to go well for him. And I I really, I was was pretty convinced of that in my own mind. And I just want to say that, I don't know, I think we believe a lot of things that aren't true. Before, we're thinking thinking through things but we really don't know. Uh, to this, and, and to say now, that person actually has become one of my largest advocates to this day. You know, he's the one who asked me, how are you doing with this? How's it going? Not only just, just being single, be, how's, how's that struggle going? And, and actually, he's been one to remind me of my identity in Christ. He's been one to, and actually to see even God change his heart in how he viewed sexual sin has been amazing to watch. I don't know how God would have, another way that God would have done that, but he used that in that moment. And I think that sometimes, you know, I, for myself, but all within the body in general, we need to be more humble and just, and, and trust God with those words because they are going to speak to, you know, we, we have so much in common. We, we, you know, we already are. We're all, we're all naked before the cross. <laughs> all three of you have mentioned in your testimonies 
the struggle of isolation without anybody else knowing, nobody to talk to, the secret sin, quote unquote. I know somebody's listening to this right now who is struggling in isolation. What would your advice be to that person? What would you say to them? One thing that I've been challenged with over the years is to kind of gradually expand the circles of people who know. And so it doesn't mean you come out necessarily with this big announcement. I think what it does challenge you to do is to look for people that you trust, that you think honor God with their life, that love the Lord, that are wise in their counsel, and you look for those people. And it may not be somebody that you expect it to be. It may not be somebody that you are naturally have a connection to, but there's something about them that you say, this person loves God and, and they're trustworthy. And I think you start with that. And then gradually, you know, you gradually allow others to kind of come in as well. You expand the circle. Gradually. Gradually. I, that's with, been my experience. With people you trust. Yes. I want to take this opportunity to thank you men for your willingness to come into this studio and speak the way you have spoken. You've become heroes to me. Even as you have talked, uh, I have been examining my own heart and my own sins in a deeper way. Just hearing you and watching you, folks who are listening to this resource don't have the privilege of seeing your faces. And just watching as, as you painfully share some of the things that have happened in the past, but also the hope that is there. It seems as though you men are surrounded by hope and you're encouraged by others who have been brought into your circle of trust. And uh, Dave, I want to thank you for coming here and for bringing these men here to to produce this resource. And uh, how can folks get in touch with Harvest Ministries? Tell us a little bit about how they can get in touch. Now, we will have all this information on our website, but Sure. We have a website, harvestusa.org. There's a lot of information about the ministry on there, so it's all spelled out one word, harvestusa.org. We will have all the contact information for Harvest USA on our website, markinc.org. And I want to thank you men for coming in, for sharing, for just a powerful way in which you have uh, shared your testimony here with us. Uh, Dan, one final word from you. Uh, There is that young man standing out there, sitting out there, listening to this, perhaps, as we've said earlier, struggling in isolation. What word of encouragement can you give him right now? Two things come to mind. One is definitely find places like Harvest, and they're not a lot, but having a group of men that love the Lord and that are willing to walk through that time with you is a a tremendous help. The other is, is that our feelings aren't really trustworthy. So go with the things that God says are true in spite of your feelings at this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris, what do you have to say to that man out there who's struggling right now? I would say look around while you're at church. Look around. Pay attention to people. What do you, what, how they act, what they more obviously, more better, better what they say. And you'll have, have a sense of, of, of who you might be able to share that struggle with. I just think it's important to bring it into the light. I know that the enemy loves when we keep those things in, to ourselves in darkness and silence and quiet. And enemies not doesn't do everything, but he definitely one of his tactics is to isolate and destroy. And you have to not isolate. You have to have to open up. It's going to be hard, and you're not going to know what that person, how that person you share with is going to respond. But be transparent, be open. You are not responsible for how that person responds. You can share that struggle. That is, and I, and I don't mean to make it sound like it's going to be. It isn't going to be easy. 
but you're not responsible for their response. If they respond poorly, that's really between them and the Lord. And you may be very surprised at what, you, what the response is. Be, I think that will be your experience. You will be surprised at the love you will receive in taking that step of faith to share that. Yes. Common theme here, isolation. Everything looks bigger when we live in an isolated world. I think, I think one thing that, that I would share, because it's the thing that, that changed my life, um, is in Romans where it says it's God's loving kindness that leads us to repent. We have to uh, please stop th- worrying about what other people will think. Start pursuing Christ and looking at who he says you are. As believers, the righteousness of Christ you know, when, when, I, when I start thinking of who God says I am, then I have the courage to reach out to other people. There's always this fear of what will happen, and that fear and, and just consume my whole life, but it doesn't have to consume your life. Um, I, I, I carried this for 47 years, and I remember going to Harvest, and I heard a young man who was at least 20 years my, my younger talking about feeling like he's facing the rest of his life white-knuckling. And I said, you don't have to white knuckle, but we have to pursue, um, we, we have to look at Christ and who he says we are. It's our identity in him that, that, that will change us. And, and Romans, you know, where it talks about nothing separates us from God's love, that, that's one of the things that really grabbed a hold of my heart. The temptations that I had, those things did not separate me from God's love. Yeah. And as soon as I could learn to feel safe in his love, as soon as I could f- learn to feel and believe that God loved me, then I, c- I could deal with some of these things. I could trust other people. So, so yeah, you asked for a few words, and I apologize. I'm not a man of few words. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's, that's what I would say. Look and pray and ask God to help your unbelief in who he says that you are and how he feels about you and, and where your identity lies in him. Learn about that, and then, and then yes, yeah. You, you expand the circle, and God won't take you where he hasn't prepared the way for you. I mean, those are, those are pat things that people say to us all the time, but, but I found them to be true. There are sometimes the pat answers that are, are very true. Dave, the hard part for all of us as sinners is to forsake the sin. It's easy to talk about it. It's much more difficult to forsake the sin. One final word from you to that young man out there who's struggling in isolation, what would you say to him about the struggle of forsaking the sin? Well, I would say the very fact that you're listening to this right now shows that what you're doing isn't working, uh, that there's no life found in the road that you've been walking down, um, that you're not going to find the joy, the contentment, the peace in your soul that you're looking for. Jesus said that if we forsake all things for him, we will find life. If you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose it for his sake, you're going to find it. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's painful. Jesus described it as carrying a cross. It does mean letting go of something that you love, uh, but it means finding something better and finding something richer and deeper. And God wants us to experience relationships the way Chris was describing earlier without having any kind of stain on them. Jesus meant it when he came and said, I came that you would have abundant life, uh, that you'd have life and have it to the full. 
Uh, so he's inviting us into that with him. I mean, he is the fullness, right? John says at the beginning of his gospel that, that in him was life and that life was the light of men. And so he's, he's inviting us to that deeper relationship with him that is going to satisfy us in ways that going to all these things of this world will never do. I want to thank you for listening to this resource. It's been a real blessing to be with these men today. And I hope that blessing has been received by you as you listen. If Mark Inc. Ministries can be of any help to you, we are here for that purpose. You can contact us by phone, toll-free at 877-MARK-INC. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C. Remember, it's an 877 number. Or you can visit our website at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. My name is Chuck Betters. I am the founder of Mark Inc. Ministries, and it has been my privilege to interview these four men today. They have been a rich blessing to me personally, and I trust that they have been a blessing to you as well. If we can help you in your walk with Christ, if we can help you to discover what a walk with Christ looks like, we would be more than happy to do so. Once again, our phone number is 877-MARK-INC or visit us on our website at markinc.org. May God richly bless you.